Welcome to Crosspoint. 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 An interactive program featuring ministers and leaders of the Christian community addressing the issues that are challenging the church today. Here's your host, Mark Taylor. Many times leaders take a pursuit of following their own leads and opinions when they know better. Today, here on Crosspoint, we're going to talk about this issue of what happens when leaders make their own disastrous decisions. I'm Mark Taylor. Welcome to Crosspoint. My guest is Jonathan C. Brentner. Now, he's a blogger, he's a Bible teacher, he's a retired financial analyst, and he's also an author of the new book, Cancel This. Uh, Jonathan, thanks for joining us today here on Crosspoint. You've got this book out about what today's church can learn from the bad guys of the Bible. But to kind of get this all started, I wanted to start right at the front of the book where you talk about wanting to run away from God and His church. Uh, That was about 35 years ago. You said you had to learn what it meant to trust God in all the various headaches and afflictions of life. You said you'd been a believer since you were seven and a pastor for six years when grievous circumstances turned your life upside down and inside out and you panicked. Why is that? Tell us that story, if you could, to kind of get us started. Okay, well, um, as a young pastor, you know, in my second pastorate, I found the road became suddenly very difficult. The people turned against me. There was much opposition to me. And and I had a very close friend in the church that, that betrayed me in, in a very grievous way, and it made it very difficult, almost impossible for me to continue in the ministry because I was so... Um, I was so burdened and so distraught over what happened, and I wasn't emotionally capable of really going on in the ministry at that point. And so my life just turned completely upside down with the opposition to the ministry and uh, into what happened in my marriage at the time. Well, I know those things can be pretty difficult, and you know, you know, if you're just starting out, that's hard to go back and uh, kind of get your feet under you to keep yeah. going. So, yeah, that kind of a rough way to start the ministry. Now, in this mm-hmm. book, you're talking, the name of it's Cancel This, and, and it's about the bad guys of the Bible. You know, I'm looking at some of them and thinking, well, are all these guys bad guys? You know, you see King Asia in here, and you see John Mark, you see Cain, you know he was a bad guy, and Absalom mm-hmm. wasn't, and Joab wasn't such a great guy. You know, there's some others here, but tell us, uh, why did you pick these 13 uh, to talk about? Was there something special about them? Yeah, I did a Bible study years and years ago, probably about 20 to 25 years ago, and, and I happened to be on these particular ones, and I really have kind of forgotten why I chose these guys. I know there are other guys, and you're right, um, I end with John Mark because he's a positive um, example. He came back from failure, and Gehazi seemed to have redeemed himself a bit, although he didn't really have the continuing ministry that he probably would have liked. And so there are others that there are different degrees of badness, and there are others like like Ahab that I could have chosen. Ahab was probably one of the, the worst guys in the Bible, and I really don't know why I overlooked him, but if I ever were to write another book on bad guys, he definitely would be on it. Yeah. Now, you talk about, on page seven of the book, uh, you say, 
Is Jesus your Savior? Do you trust him alone with eternal life? If so, you've already taken the first and most critical step in avoiding the tragic mistakes made by many of the men we're going to be studying about. So mm-hmm. what did you find in some of these? Was there some certain faults that they all seemed to have the same trait of, uh, of that was causing them these issues that they had in their lives? Um, one of the key things was they let negative emotions control them. Of course, from time to time, we do have, you know, we do feel anger. We do feel the desire for revenge, but it's what we do with that. Do we take it to the Lord? Do we um, walk according to the gospel or not? And a lot of these bad guys, um, they let these negative emotions totally control them and lead them to very foolish decisions. And another aspect about them that that really has become come more to the forefront of my mind since I wrote the book is that they really didn't understand the mercy of God. And I bring this out with, with Absalom that he considered the sins of others so much greater than his own, and so did Ahithophel. And so there was a lack of understanding of God's mercy. And by that I mean they always considered the offenses committed against them so much greater than their sins against God, against the Holy Lord. I look at the uh, front of your book here, and it's kind of like a lot of people do. They fist, you know, kind of, to me, the way I look at it is, you know, you've got a fist here pounding the Bible, but the sparks are flying. And, uh, you know, I look at that situation and think of how many people do, you know, kind of, you know, they take their fist and kind of stand up against God and what he wants them to do and what they want to do. But God's word doesn't change. Uh, at all does it i mean they can they can say they're going to cancel god's word out but that doesn't happen very easily does it it just really don't no it doesn't yeah no it doesn't they can't cancel god's word and the lord might have us um might call us to different ways of of promoting his word and defending his word but it all starts with living out the truths of the gospel now, also in here, I noticed uh, you've got a study guide. Uh, you do this with each one of the men you talk about in the Bible. Now, I think this is pretty interesting. In fact, I'm looking at chapter 3, the study guide, where Joab, who was the commander of you know David's armies, and he was a bad guy as far as I could tell. But here again, Joab done a lot of good things that helped the mm-hmm. kingdom, but he still had a bad undercoat to him that never got dealt with until the end, and then it was really dealt with. But these are really some good questions you've uh, got here, uh, Jonathan. And tell us about why did you do this? Is, would this be a really a great Bible study book for men's group to get involved in? Yes, I believe it would be. And that wasn't the primary reason I wrote it. In fact, the, the questions came a little bit later, but I believe it can be a very good um, study guide for a men's group and also for a women's group. Uh, last Sunday, there was a, one of my wife's friends at church was, was thinking about having it for, for their women's Bible study. And it's interesting, when, when I was down in Crane, the publisher made a big point of the fact that she learned a lot from the book and that she thought it would be excellent for a women's Bible study as well. There is a part I need to ask you about here in a book, because you talk about these 13 men, but you've got the first two are Saul. Now, Mm -hmm. is this two different Sauls, or is this the same Saul? I mean, you've got the king who didn't wait, and then you've got the king who crowned, who covered while his son climbed. So tell us about how does there two Sauls write together at the first of this book? 
Okay, yeah, they're the same person, so I guess it's really 12 different characters that that I talk about, and they are, they are the same, and probably um, when I was studying King Saul and talking about him, that became the main um, impetus for writing the book. I saw some of my some of the pride that I had at the time I could, could identify with Saul and so I looked at Saul's life and his impatience and it came at a time when I needed to wait and so that led to the to the first chapter on him which is a strategy for waiting um, he's a king who didn't wait and then that and then the story continues into the next chapter um, where where his son Jonathan takes over and and sparks and sparks the Lord's victory for Israel at the time. And you just see such a contrast between Jonathan, the king's son, who did everything for God's glory, and Saul, who was all about himself. He was he just wanted all the glory for himself. And so I contrast them in that in the second chapter. But it is the same character. Yeah. Now also in the book, I know you talk about bitterness. And, Mm -hmm. you know, how we need to uproot it, because I believe it is. You know, so you've got uh, number 11 is Asa, the king who started fast but finished last, is the way you put it. You know, and Asa is a good example of somebody that started well, but he didn't finish well. And, you know, isn't that kind of the way it is in our own lives? It's really not basically how we start, but basically it's how we finish, isn't it? Yeah, it is. And. I think someone has said that, you know, the Christian life is not a sprint, but a marathon. I don't know who exactly said that or where it came from, but it's so true that, you know, that the older we get, it doesn't mean that the temptations go away or that the the um, the desires go away, but we still need to keep focusing on the Lord and keep serving Him no matter how old we get. And it does take... It, yeah, it takes endurance in the Christian life and, and really living by the Holy Spirit and walking by His Word. Yeah. Now, uh, you've also got Absalom in there, and Absalom, and you say this about him, and it really cost him his destiny, the way you kind of put it out here on page 61 of the book. You say, because of David's great love for Absalom, I believe Absalom might have became king after David's death had he dealt differently with his sister's tragedy. Yes, his father should have administered justice, but Absalom's immense pride and unforgiving spirit led to bitter infer inner turmoil, which later led to his death. So there was a lot of things, kind of the way you're talking about here, these uh, guys in the Bible, David, everybody knows who King David is. He didn't mm-hmm. deal with the situation rightly, neither did Absalom, but actually, in all reality, was not Absalom the next in line to be the king instead of Solomon? But it doesn't work out that way, but it goes to show you what happens when we don't want to follow along with God's plans, but then, you know, also when we don't deal with sin like David didn't. Yeah, <clears throat> yeah. It- and, you know, we will never know for sure if Absalom would have been involved, but it seems like he would have been because um, the one Ammon that committed the treachery against his sister, he w- he got killed. And then the, the second oldest in David's line, you never hear a word about him in Scripture, so he apparently was fairly insignificant. And we know that David loved Absalom, but, you know, sometimes when we go after things in our own way and forget the Lord, it it takes away what the Lord might have intended for us. 
Yeah. So you're trying to, I guess maybe because the front of the book says what today's church can learn from all of this. Uh, and then you talk about on the back of the book, too, you say, today many take this pursuit to an extreme by seeking to cancel all that God says about marriage, gender, and the sanctity of life. Sadly, many churches disregard the words of truth in these same matters. So this isn't just a personal person matter, but this is an overall Christian matter of God's church and God's people. Um, Yes, I believe it is. And, you know, my main emphasis of of writing on my blog and that has to do with with prophecy. And it's so easy to see how, how once churches get away from what God's Word says, about these things that they fall into into lapses, they fall into wokeism, and they fall into all these other things. And so it starts with just a solid commitment to the words of God, to what Scripture says, and then um, we go from there, and it, it shows that the hope we have in Jesus' soon return, and the signs that we see in this world based on the fact that God has Um, miraculously restored Israel as a nation, and there is a future for them, and so many churches deny that. But it all comes back to God's Word, to walking with God and understanding who God is and understanding His mercy towards us. Why would a person want to read a book that would really talk about people getting their lives all messed up? Is there a greater thing you're trying to bring forth here for people to understand that uh, about messing up in life and where it can lead you, but also where it can get you out of and take you if you'll follow God's ways? One of the things I emphasize in the book is living out the truths of the gospel. And by that, I mean, you know, that, of course, there's the gospel paths where, where we're forgiven, we're justified, we're redeemed and regenerated and when we come to faith in Jesus. And then we live out that. We live out um, the gospel knowing that we are forgiven and that what he has forgiven us is so much more than, than what he asks us to forgive other people of. And I bring out um, Matthew 18, um, the parable of the unforgiving servant. I bring that out because it just shows that, that so many people are like that unforgiving servant. They, they forget how much God has forgiven them, and then they are unable to extend that same forgiveness to other people. And so each, you know, each chapter um, has a, an application section where, where I take, take, take what happened and, and apply it, and each chapter has a walking with God section that shows how, you know, how, what that character teaches us about our need to walk with the Lord in the light of, of the saving message of the cross. All right. Well, folks, stay with us. We're going to be back more with Cancel This uh, and our discussion on this book and about the bad guys of the Bible right after this. This is Mark Taylor. If you miss a broadcast of Crosspoint, you can always go to our website at www.kneo.org and click on the programs page. There you can access the current Crosspoint program as well as the last four programs that have been aired. Never miss another Crosspoint program again. Go to www.kneo.org today. Welcome back to Crosspoint. I'm Mark Taylor, your host. My guest today is Jonathan C. Brentner. Uh, we're talking about cancel this, about what the church can learn about bad guys in the Bible. Now, 
Jonathan, I know you've written other books. You've done your blogger mm-hmm. and all that. Tell people how they can find out about this book. Also find out maybe about going and reading your blogs and stuff like that. How would they do that? The book Cancel This is available on, on Amazon, and it's also available uh, from Defender Publishing at Skywatch TV. And I do have a blog where I talk primarily about future things, and it can be found at jonathanbrentner.com, J-O-N-A-T-H-A-N-B-R-E-N-T-N-E-R.com. And there I, I call it, you know, our journey home, which talks about um, our journey through this life to eternity. Another part of the book here, uh, it's really on the on the basis of how we forgive others is kind of a lot of, I think, what you can learn from what I understand about the book. Do you think that this is uh, okay on how we really are true successful in life, that it really makes a difference and how the basis that we forgive others is how much success we have in life? I don't know if I, if I would say that, but I think that our ability to to live out the truth of the gospel to you know, to maybe be successful in God's sight and, you know, depends on our being able to forgive others um, the way that he has forgiven us to extend that forgiveness. And I believe that's, that's essential, especially as for new believers as they start their walk with the Lord to, to never forget that how much God has forgiven them. So I guess in a way, when you look at success from from God's viewpoint, it probably is successful. From the world's standpoint, many people that are bitter are quite successful in life, but it doesn't mean that um, God views them as favorably as the world does. Now I want to read something you've got in a book here on page 76. I think this is a, a question a lot of people have. You say, sometimes a desire for vengeance springs up from sources other than personal pain. We see wickedness, deception, flourishing, and sometimes inside our cries out for justice. For me, such anger rises to the quickest when I read about the horrors of abortion and wonder why Congress doesn't stop the vile practices associated with it, and such as the killing of children and who survive abortions. Why doesn't God intervene and put an end to this all now? I ask this question. So what is... A lot of us ask those kind of questions. Why does he continue to just allow this sin to run rapid in our country and not, to us, seem like he's dealing with it? I guess they thought that in the biblical times as well. Yeah, the prophet Habakkuk in Habakkuk 1 had the same complaint. He wondered why uh, God wasn't dealing with the sins of Judah at the time. And and then the Lord responded to him saying that, that, you know, I know what's going on. And the Chaldeans or the Babylonians are coming to judge Israel. And, and probably within within 20 or 30 years of him writing that, um, Jerusalem was destroyed by the by Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonians. And I also on on that page talk about uh, Psalm 37, which is one of the things that that draws me back to to the Lord and to His Word because I I realize that God is going to put an end to these things and that God is going to to judge America and. You know, I just I see the handwriting on the wall, so to speak, of in in our nation that that the Lord is allowing these things to to happen because 
he's, he has people that are still coming to him. And then I also look at my own life and look at the Lord's patience with me, even though my sins might not have been as great as abortion or committing actual murder, but they were significant, and God was patient with me. And so God is patient with people waiting for them to repent. But there is going to become a time when when he's going to say enough is enough, and the full impact of his wrath is going to be felt. And it'll be felt in America, I'm fairly sure of that. Yeah. In the book, again, page 103, you just said, you know, you had to do some go through some personal things yourselves, you know, to help you, uh, you know, understand these things and, you know, putting together a book or anything that you blog about, I'm sure, or it has to do with ministry. But you say something in here about being content always comes down to who we serve, uh, not what we possess. And then you talk about Jesus saying no one can serve two masters. Now, Mm -hmm. if you go down there a little farther, you said there have been times when I've been faced with severe financial struggles. When I changed careers, my income did not match my expenses. It didn't even come close. As a result, I stopped setting aside money for the Lord, and the Lord impressed them on my heart. My need to start trusting Him again in the area of giving, but I resisted. So tell us a little bit about that, because I know these personal journeys – uh, or what you're also writing now, not only these people in the Bible, but some of the mm-hmm. things you've experienced as well and how it relates to those guys in the Bible. Okay, the, the time I was referring to was um, a time after um, my divorce from my first wife, and I was not a pastor anymore, and I was struggling to find to find a good job. And even though I was employed, it wasn't meeting the needs for for all the the financial obligations that I had, and so I was putting ads in in our church bulletin. Please, you know, please pray for Jonathan Brittner for his financial thing. And it's interesting a a man in the church who was a financial advisor saw that and invited me to his house to talk to me. You know, and he, in you know, we talked about everything, and he said. Uh, you know, that you're doing everything right from what I can tell, but are you giving? I said, well, no, I haven't been able to give. And so he said, um, just try starting to give 5%. And so I said, okay. And so I agreed to do that. And the first month that I did that, you know, after paying the bills and, and everything and giving 5% of my income, I didn't. I had less than $20 uh, to my name, and that was before I bought groceries for the two weeks or by gas or, or, or anything. But at that time, you know, my mom called and said, do you need money? And I said, well, yeah. <laughs> and, so, and so she said, he sent me a check for 200 That got me past it. So the next month it happened, the same time, I said, okay, I'm going to keep doing this. And I determined I'm not going to tell anyone in my family because I knew that, that I had relatives. If they knew um, my situation, that they would instantly tell it send me a check, but I said, okay, I just want this between you and me, God. And so I did that. And again, the shortfall was severe. And I came, when I came to work um, the next day, my manager called me into his office and said, well, he said, we're going to to give you um, a raise because we need some technical writing done. And we know that you've been a writer for David C. Cook. And 
and we want you to do this. I said, okay. And, you know, he said it was a $3 an hour raise. And I said, well, when did it start? And he said, well, actually, it started last week, but I, I'm just getting around to telling you now. And, and from that point on, you know, my income went up and I continued to give, but it was just it was just kind of the Lord had been impressing upon my heart to, to test him in this. And when I finally did, um, he responded in a big way. At the time, I never would have dreamed that I would be able to to retire and, and devote myself to, to writing full time as I did several years ago. But but thanks be to the Lord, I'm able to do that. He provided wondrously after a severe test. Yeah. And thanks for being open and talking about this stuff, because that, you know, there's thousands of other people out there just like you that need to hear Mm -hmm. these things and be encouraged. Now, uh, in here, another part of the book, you talk about Eli. And, you know, you look at the problem, you know, Eli was a great man of God, you know, the story of Hannah and everything that happened there. But then you say, despite Eli's faithfulness to the Lord, he, he failed to stop the wickedness of his sons. And so, you know, through the prophet Samuel, and it was uh, pronounced the judgment on Eli and his descendants for this. So a good point here to people is God doesn't want part of you, and he doesn't want part of your obedience. You do it all or you do none. Is that correct? Yes, I I believe that's it. And, you know, and as I point out in that chapter on, on Eli, that his sons were were grabbing the best of the meat, you know, improperly before it, you know, they weren't following the law and and how in waiting for the boiled portions of the of the sacrifice, they were grabbing it ahead of time and grabbing it with the fat and and the fact that that Eli was was so much overweight sort of indicates that that he was sort of enjoying that too that he wasn't. Um, that that what the sons grabbed he was he was taking too and so and so there is a mixture you see Eli is a great man of God and God spoke to him and he recognized God's um, God's voice and God speaking to him through through Samuel but but yeah he did have have faults but but so do we all have faults and one of the things I bring out at the end of the book was that. Was that Eli fell to his death after he heard that the Ark of the Covenant had been taken by the Philistines? When he heard that his sons had been killed, he didn't he didn't collapse. When he heard that the Ark of the Covenant had been taken, then he collapsed and fell to his death. Yeah. Now, in there too, you know, you talk about Eli's example highlights the danger of becoming preoccupied with the opinions of others and honoring people above the Lord, um, and mm-hmm. that that can get people in big trouble, uh, when, especially when they're supposed to be a pastor or something like that, uh, and they honor people when they shouldn't be doing that, uh, you know, above the Lord. Now, tell us about this character in Chapter 10, you know, Diatropolis or something there. What, oh, so tell yeah, us about Di- that character. Diatropolis, yeah. He was um, a church leader that, that John wrote a book. Well, actually, he... He apparently, the Apostle John wrote a book to him, um, which he totally disregarded, so he had to send um, the, the third epistle of John, I believe it is, to, to Gaius, who could, you know, handle the situation, but but Theotrophes became very proud, and he, I mean, he didn't allow 
um, people in his congregation to extend hospitality to to traveling uh, Christian speakers. In those days, of course, they didn't have the internet, and instead of of teachings available in other forms, you know, there were traveling pastors or speakers that would go from church to church and and. When they would come to another town, you know, the believers in that town would put them up. And even if they weren't um, pastors or, or speakers, someone would put them up if they were traveling. They didn't have the nice hotels and restaurants that we have today for, to put people up. And this, in Gaius, for some reason, um, he opposed the, the Apostle John. He, you know, he spoke disparaging of him and and wouldn't acknowledge his letter or share his letter that he wrote to him first, and he also put, he was also excommunicating people who, who disobeyed him by offering hospitality to other Christians, and so, and so he was acting with great pride. He wanted to be his own person, his own pastor, and perhaps because the Apostle John at the time was so much older than he was, maybe he thought, well, I'm younger, I know a lot more than this Apostle does, so I'm going to behave the way I want to. Yeah. So uh, we've been talking about this book, Cancel This. Again, now tell people how they can find out more about this book and other books you've done as well in your blogging. Okay, um, you can go to my blog, which is our journey home, and it's at jonathanbrentner.com, and it's J-O-N-A-T-H-A-N-B-R-E-N-T-N-E-R, and I also have written another book uh, um, about future things. It's called The Triumph of the Redeemed, and it deals with, with just the hope that we have in the Lord and how that relieves our fears for for the day in, in which we live. And I talk a lot more about my personal experience in there and how through that personal experience I really came to, to understand the value of a two-world perspective because when things fell apart in my ministry, even though I love preaching about prophecy, I you know, for some reason, I didn't look to, to the Lord and to what He had for me in the future, but I became angry and bitter for a while, but it was really the understanding of of the future that I have, and so I describe that in the book. I describe my personal journey, and I describe why future things became so important to me and why I believe they're so important to the Church, and then um, I describe the bi- biblical basis for um, the pre-tribulation rapture as well as for premillennialism in the book. And so I really defend the fact that the Lord is coming for us and that our blessed hope means that Jesus is coming for us before the start of the seven-year tribulation. All right. Well, folks, stay with us. We'll be back with more right after this. Whatever you're facing, God cares. I've had a number of very overwhelming things in my life. Ultimately, I had to depend on God, and as a result, He helped me through it. 91.7 The Word. I can certainly trust Him. You're listening to Crosspoint. I'm your host, Mark Taylor. My guest today is Jonathan Bittner, and Jonathan has put out a book called Cancel This. It's what today's church can learn from the bad guys of the Bible, and that's what we've been talking about here. Now, Jonathan, you say here in the book, towards the conclusion of it, you say, I'm aware that some people's life closely follows what they expect it to be. However, that's definitely not the case. Life rarely goes on planned, as many of us 
are too, um, you know, uh, uncertain. Uh, you talk about that as life will never go as planned. You say mm-hmm. this book in my declaration of God was over the top goodness and faithfulness to me. He alone is the reason that I did not go down for some disastrous road that many of the guys in this book traveled when my life took a disastrous ten turn. So this book was for other people, but it's kind of was for you as well to help you uh, to kind of see where you were and how God helped you through life, just like he helped some of these others. Exactly. And as I mentioned you know, looking at the the life of Saul, and there was a time in my life when I really had to 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 wait on the Lord a long time, much longer than I would have liked. And then in my chapter on King Saul, I have what I call a strategy for waiting. And the points are, you know, focus on Christ, not the mess. Don't buy into the world's reasoning, and by that I mean the ends justify the means, hold on to God's promises, hold on tightly to them, and trust God's person, not religious behavior. And those four points really helped me. This was maybe 25 years ago, but but a lot of the lessons I learned from studying these guys, and in particular Paul, I mean Saul, in his inability to wait, did really help me in my life and did did really become a source of strength to me. And then, of course, with Esau, you know, living for the things of this life, you know, that just plays right into my emphasis on prophecy because we need a two-world perspective, which is what I wrote about in my other book. Now, also, carrying on with this on page 197, you say many of us use the phrase cancel culture to describe the widespread effort to uh, eliminate a biblical worldview from the areas of life today. You said the church needs men and women who will resist society's effort to subserve all of the Lord's moral standards. So uh, this is kind of a call then for people to stand up and to uh, not let the things that happen like in these people's lives happen today in our lives and on the lives of others as well. Um, yes, don't be consumed with with an unforgiving attitude. Don't, you know, I think it's, it's okay to get upset and angry for a little bit at what we see happening in this world, but it all has to come back to the Lord. He says, you know, Paul says, don't let the sun set um, on your anger. It's okay to be angry for a while, but to understand um, that that God is sovereign in these things and is going to deal with them. And so, and so, yeah, as, as we live out the truth of the gospel, that is our, our best defense against um, the cancel culture around us. And as I said earlier, you know, God calls us to different things. God may call some people to have, to be more outspoken against what's going on. He may call some believers to, to enter politics, or he may call other believers just to live out their lives with their family and raise their kids. And so there's all kind, all sorts of different purposes that God might have for us um, as believers, but it all starts with living out the truth of the gospel and allowing him to work through us and to lead us into the into the path that he has for us. Now, would you say that this book explains how we can apply the gospel to critical times in our lives when our feelings tend to lead us away from the Lord? And, and how can our feelings lead us away from the Lord? How do they do that? Well, I deal with, with anger and bitterness, you know, several times, and and. 
And that's definitely a trap. When we allow anger to consume us, then we really don't see God's purposes in it, and it takes us away from really understanding um, the the truth of the gospel takes us for understanding it, and then bitterness, the desire for revenge. You know, when Ahithophel, and we believe that he was um, the grandfather of Bathsheba, and so after David um, had his affair with Bathsheba and had Uriah killed, then Ahithophel um, became incensed and most biblical commentators believe that was the reason for him turning against David, who once was his friend. And so he turns against David, and he becomes comes, becomes consumed with him. And then we find that that later on, Ahithophel has become just like the things that he hated about David. Uh, he tells Absalom to, to put his father's concubines on the roof and to go into them. In other words, he's promoting adultery, just the very same thing that he hated David for. And then in his advice to Absalom, he says, I want to be the one to kill King David. And so in other words, he had become a lot like King David. He had become a lot like the things he hated about King David. And obviously he didn't trust the Lord's forgiveness of David and didn't trust God to deal with David in the way that he did. And of course we know David suffered greatly because of of his his sins with Bathsheba and Uriah, but, but God also forgave him. And and I believe that happens to a lot of people when they become so consumed with hatred and desire for revenge that they become just like the features that they hate in the in the object of their hatred. Does that make sense? Oh, sure. That definitely makes sense. Yeah. Page 199 of the book here at the back, you say, Our hope does not lie in the things of this world. It rests above the heavenly realm with the eternal inheritance that will be ours when Jesus comes for us before the start of the seven-year tribulation on the earth. Now is as ever before since the time of Jesus walked among us. We must fix our hope in his appearing. Lives uh, dedicated to pursuing wealth and influence and popularity will end in great loss much sooner than what happened to the bad guys in this study. So kind of a warning you drop out there to people to be careful on what we follow in life and why we follow it. Um, yeah, exactly. And, and I, the reason I said that was I, is that we live in the end times versus the guys in the Bible did not live in the in the end times. You know, whether they be good or bad, we know that, that there's been, um, you know, almost 2,000 years since since these guys lived or, or greater, but now as we see Israel becoming a nation and flourishing in the way God predicted, we see so many signs of the end times. We realize that Jesus is coming soon, and we dare not put a date on it, but we know that we live in the in the season of God's return. and. And also, as we look at where our nation is going, we see the great wickedness and and evil and deception and lies. It's just we don't know who to trust anymore. And we we know from God's word that He deals with with nations, not just Israel. He deals with nations that that turn away from Him into into wickedness, such as America has done. And I believe that 
that the Lord is coming soon. I can't. I don't know how soon, but I believe after that, God's God's wrath will fall on America as well as the rest of the world. You say that this book takes readers to the basics of the good, which provides the best antidote. So kind of explain this antidote. You believe the gospel and the good of the gospel is the antidote to everything we face. I believe the gospel is because there's the gospel present and well, past, present, and future. And the gospel future tells us about, you know, where Christ is coming. But the book is about applying the truths of the gospel, applying God's mercy, God's forgiveness to us. And in this life, and then looking forward to um, to the hereafter, to to eternity, and so I that, I believe that was the, the um, what I I meant with those words, and and also you know speaking of eternity, um, I'm co-writing a book with my friend Terry James, who I just really really like. He's become almost a men- he has become a mentor to me, but. We're co-writing a book called The Hereafter, God's Children in Eternity, which is going to to emphasize our experience, you know, beginning with the rapture and throughout eternity, you know. And so we're co-writing this book, and it's really, and again, I think I learn more from writing these books than, than maybe my readers do, because it's just such an invaluable thing just to be able to study God's Word and look at the future that He has for us. And I think that's a good way to point out to people how to grow in the Lord is if they'll use the Bible uh, as a study book to any other book that they're going to use, you know, try to find something I do when I read the Bible. Uh, every time I read it, I have some uh, uh, something I'm after. And so that's what I'm looking for. So every time it's kind of a challenge to find out more about this subject and all through the Bible. And then the next time mm-hmm. it's another subject and the next time it's another yeah. subject. But that's what we've got to do. We've got to find a, a thirst for the Word of God to see it as mm-hmm. it is and let it help us grow. Oh, exactly. And I believe that one of the problems with the church today is that so many young believers, the millennials, so many of them, um, don't don't spend time in God's Word. They don't read it. And, and that's really how you grow, too, is you, you take in God's Word, you study it, you, you learn it. It's not just enough to hear your pastor preach on Sunday, you need to be in God's Word, and that'll help you know whether he's telling you the truth or not, and in some ways, too. But, yeah, and, you know, of course, there are there are some millennials and some of the younger generation who, who diligently study God's Word. I don't want to say all of them, but I think that that the church becomes weak when people don't study God's Word for themselves, when they don't spend many hours in it during the week. Would you say then, Jonathan, that that was a big help to you when all the trials and tribulations you went through early on in the ministry, uh, that it really was coming into God's Word and getting a deeper understanding of it that helped you to kind of come out of this and grow? Yeah, and, and it was Probably at first it was more a matter of the of the Holy Spirit reminding me of all the things that I had learned and, and studied before because you know I'd gone to Talbot Seminary and I'd worked for the Lockman Foundation on on their Concordance of the Bible and that had put me in the Hebrew text for 
for a year, you know, 40 hours a week in the Hebrew text um, for almost a year. And so I knew God's Word really well, and I knew about prophecy, but it was more of a matter of, of coming out of it of the Lord saying, okay, reminding me of the things that I knew. And so sometimes, you know, the what we read in Scripture, you know, it, it doesn't have that immediate impact, but but it comes back later as the Lord reminds you. And so it was the Lord reminding me of these things. And then a little bit later as I got back into a practice of spending, you know, time in the morning in God's Word and prayer that, you know, that I grew into the ministry that I have. But, but yeah, and so it was probably more of the Lord reminding me of, of His Word at first. Okay, so the book's called Cancel This. And uh, Jonathan, uh, tell us again how people can find out about the book and also your uh, blogging and website, whatever you have there in your ministry. Okay. The book is available on Amazon, and it's, you know, under Jonathan Brittner or Cancel This, The Bad Guys of the Bible. Um, on my blog, I also have a, a description um, of, of it under well, I have a website, and the blog is part of my website, and there's a portion of it um, called The Books, and you can read a little bit more about the book, the two books that are published, and you can click on, on links that will take you to Amazon, and it's also um, available on, on Skywatch um, at their bookstore. And again, my blog is jonathanbrentner.com, and it's Jonathan Brittner, just one word, J-O-N-A-T-H-A-N-B-R-E-N-T-N-E-R.com. And, and there you'll find my blog with the articles that I have and about my books and, and so forth. And you'll be able to, to see what I've written. And so, I've, yeah, I really love the, the ministry that the Lord has given me in reaching out to people. Well, Jonathan, we appreciate you being with us today here on Crosspoint. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. I really appreciate it. Good show today here with Jonathan Brentner. Hey, helps to understand these people in the Bible, why things happen in their lives, how it affects our lives as well. And all of that, what I liked about what Jonathan was talking about today is he got all of it from what I hold in my other hand here, the Holy Bible. The Word of God contains all you need to know about in life. It'll help you put all the, all the things together just like they should be. The Bible is the inspired words of God. Doesn't matter who you are. The book is accurate and it directs life every day. Shows you just exactly how things are going to walk for those that will follow it. The Bible contains the most important words you're ever going to read and certainly ever follow. Be sure and join us again next time as we discuss issues that are affecting the church. Have a great week and allow God to use you for His purposes so that greater things can be done. Make your life count in God's plans for eternity. I'm Mark Taylor. Crosspoint is a program produced in Studio 101 at KNAO Radio. Not all of the views on Crosspoint reflect those of the management or staff of KNEO. You may contact the Crosspoint program at 10827 Highway 86 East, Leosho, Missouri, 64850, or by email crosspoint at kneo.org. You can hear Crosspoint four times a week, Saturday morning at 1, Saturday afternoon at 2, Saturday evening at 9, and Sunday evening at 7. You can also listen anytime on... Are you walking in everything God has for you? Hi, I'm Pastor Gary Culp, and I'd like to invite you to check out the Exceedingly Abundant Ministries podcast, available from the Sky High Podcast Network. This 30-minute weekly Bible study will give you time to grow spiritually and get to know God and His Word on a deeper level. 
God has more in store for you than you ever realized. Listen to Exceedingly Abundant Ministries today and learn about how God can do more with your life than you ever imagined.